Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. My name's Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me the five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. Four things that they cherish, and one thing that they'd like to bury and forget. Now, my guest this week is, as Brian Logan from The Guardian and Bruce Dessel from The Evening Standard have said, Chloe Petz. They also said that she's one of the most compelling young comics and clearly a rising star whose name will soon be in lights. Yeah, I'm thinking of changing my name to Exit. I always wanted to see my name in lights. She's certainly one of the most exciting up-and-coming acts on the circuit. Chloe's Edinburgh show this summer, If You Can't Say Anything Nice, sold out in the first week of the festival, and she's currently touring this show around the UK, so book your tickets if you can. On television and radio, Chloe's appeared in her own segment every Saturday morning as a regular guest on Sky Sports News. She has also been a regular on the Frank Skinner Show, World Cup Breakfast on Sky Sports for the Men's Football World Cup in 2022 and previously for Good Morning Euros on Sky Sports, for the UEFA Women's Euros and of course she's also been on Match of the Day Extra. So as you can tell, Chloe loves football, particularly Crystal Palace, as you'll hear. Chloe's also been on Jonathan Ross's Comedy Club on ITV, The Stand-Up Sketch Show, Richard Osman's House of Games, Random Acts on Channel 4, Hypothetical on Dave, Fighting Talk on BBC Radio 5 Live, BBC Three Quickies on, guess what, BBC Three, and she won Pointless Celebrities. Hurrah! Chloe's been shortlisted for the BBC Comedy Award, was a finalist of the Lesser Square New Comedian of the Year Award, and a runner-up in the Funny Woman Awards. She supported Ed Gamble on his electric tour and Frank Skinner during his West End run and has performed at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, which she'll be returning to with her new show for this year's festival. She's a co-founder of The Lowell Word, a queer comedy collective that hosts sell-out monthly London nights, boasting the finest female and non-binary queer acts on the circuit. Diva Magazine described it as a space that is demographically queer, inclusive and safe. And on top of all that, the comedic talent is smart, insightful, hilarious and completely relatable, which I think also describes Chloe. So let's meet her and discover what she loves and the one thing she loathes that she'd want in a time capsule. How are you, all right? Yeah, pretty good, yeah. I've got one of those days where it's sort of... um. There's lots of little bits yeah. that I need to like choreograph. So um, I feel a bit manic, but as soon as I start chatting, I'm sure I'll settle down. Yeah, I'll do my best to help. Um, <laughs> what I'll do then is to say to you, I think this will cheer you up. I think that when Palace beat Sheffield United tonight, 
and then beat Brighton at the weekend away. At the same time, when they announced 10 points deduction for Nottingham Forest, 10 points deduction for Everton, you will be about 18 points clear of relegation. Laughing is what will be. Laughing. It, absolutely. If we lose tonight, I'll be doing a sort of, um, well, I, I can't really sort of snap my season ticket in half because it's digital. So maybe just throw my phone at one of the players. <laughs> against the 10 pointers I know yeah <laughs> who do you support I support Man United and I have done since I was a tiny boy my brother though my younger brother is a lifelong Palace supporter as are nearly oh, all of my family yeah he goes to almost every game so you'd almost certainly if you see someone who looks a bit like me but is a bit manic and shouts <laughs> at the ref a lot That'll be him. I'll be looking out for him, certainly. He sounds like my kind of guy. He's a senior lawyer. No way. When he gets to Palace, he turns into a 15-year-old boy. You fucking motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Honestly, I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. The gestures that I've done at children is, is not worth thinking about. <laughs> it's absolutely dreadful. But no, I, I respect this guy. I'd like to meet him, actually. I'll be looking out for him tonight. You almost certainly will see him. I'm sitting right on the corner, so I, I'm going to have a good view. So I presume the game will be quite um, boring. So uh, <laughs> that could be a good, good opportunity to just have a little look for your brother. Well, in the sense that you'll be 3 nil up at half-time, is that what you're You're thinking? so much more positive than we are <laughs> as Palace fans. If I had to choose a London club, that would yeah. be the team. It's a fantastic atmosphere at Palace. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. It, it? When we're doing well, and at the moment we're not. But, it, you know, things will look up, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they will. There's loads of comedians that are Crystal Palace fans and I think it's for, yeah, it's kind of a mix of self-flagellation and sort of self-deprecation that yeah. maketh the Palace fan. Yeah, it's a good club to go yeah. to. So there we are. Yeah, it's good. All right, that's what I think is going to, that's my prediction to cheer you up and Great. make today easier. Thank you. You're welcome. So how's the tour going? Tour's starting again on, I'm doing a Scottish leg of the tour. So I'm doing yeah. Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Glasgow, Newcastle. Mm -hmm. Newcastle just tagged on the end. <laughs> and so it's kind of been a bit funny, this tour, because I did about seven dates of it before Christmas because of scheduling things. Mm. And now I'm sort of, am I going to remember the show? What, what's, what, what's the show about? Um, <laughs> and I've also started writing the new show as well. So it feels like my sort of brain is in multiple different directions. Yeah. But what I will say is I could sit here and say, Ugh, I'm feeling neutral towards tour. As soon as I get up on that stage, I love it. Mm. I love that the audiences are always so generous and so smart and playful because I do the first 25 minutes, I do crowd work rather than have a support act. Yeah. And the people I meet are so brilliant. Yeah, so I'm, I'm buzzing. I am buzzing to go back out and present this, this new show to the country, which I think is, I hope, funnier than my last. So... <laughs> Um, and, and I thought that was pretty funny. Um, yeah. I wouldn't have got up on stage if I didn't think it was. Um, so I hope that doesn't sound too arrogant. No, it's but, really quick though, Chloe, isn't it? It's amazing the speed with which you've leapt up the table, as it were. Yeah, I mean, um, my agents are quite, uh, you know, they, they sort of um, brandish the whip, I would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think putting those time constraints on essentially having to write a show in six months, you know, because of, of the way that, fringe to fringe works mm. it just gets you really much fit like you just learn how to write a joke and you learn how to be really effective on stage and yeah there's something quite exciting about it to not trying to you, you can't sort of delicately and intricately sort of pour over this this master work you just have to go right what do I want to talk about and how do I make that as funny as I can mm-hmm and I think that's quite effective for, as a, for a comedian. <laughs> it is. Although I do love that crowd work bit at the beginning of any show. It's fantastic the way that skill is developed. I mean, some people make a joke of it by saying, well, I'm going to do some crowd work. Hello, what's your name? Nice to meet you. And then they move on, you know, which is fine. It's sort of saying, I don't do that. But mm. the thing of just pursuing a person in a way, finding out more about them until something comes up that is worth, what inspires you to comedy. It's amazing. Yeah, I think that's bang on the way you've described it. Of The reason people are like, oh, you know, how do you do the crowd work? And it's like, you just be patient because A, you'll find something interesting in any person if you just keep asking questions in a curious fashion. Mm -hmm. And B, the person that you're asking questions to is likely to be very flustered. So the pressure cooker of that is going to make them say something weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it's the experience of just sticking with it is an important one. But also 
I think what I bring to it is like a genuine love of people and a genuine curiosity to find some common ground or find something that I find interesting about that person. And also like, mm. I think there's a sense of my, my crowd work has often been described as like very good natured and inclusive because I don't want to roast the person because they're, they're being the kind, brave one that is mm -hmm. having that really scary conversation with me. So I always try and make it a bit of a like, you know, like, don't worry, like, we're in this together kind of like, yeah. I've got, I've got you. Don't worry. Like the rest of them, they're thick idiots. <laughs> yes. We're, we're in this together. <laughs> yeah. Just you and me having a chat here. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah. So I love it. I love that bit. And as I say, like you genuinely meet really interesting, kind people. And um, yeah, that, that, that means a lot to me. And you get that fantastic variation in a show that wouldn't happen if you were just going out and banging out the same show every night. That could become repetitive. You could in a way become too mechanical with that and sort of lose the humour of it. But the fact that you go out there to begin with by saying, right, hello, I'm, you know, I'm Chloe, and you know, what's your name? Where have you come from? What do you do for a living? And you start with that and see where it goes and then are able to bring that back into the show by referring, if there are bits in the show that, that match with something somebody said, you can, you can turn it back in. That keeps the thing alive and, and interesting. Again, there's bang on there. That's bang on there, but very little I need to add to that. Because, <laughs> yeah, you've just described it. It makes the show different every night. Like, because then mm -hmm. the second half is me doing the show. But as I say, I'm always finding opportunities to play because, as you say, it keeps it interesting for me and hopefully keeps it interesting for the audience because they feel they've got this unique experience that no one's seen before. Yeah, well, they have. I mean, that is the joy of being on stage in a theatre, is that they are getting a unique experience. There'll always, always be some variation that you do. Yeah, for sure. The other day I was watching some and uh, and you did a thing where you said, you know, said something funny and said, thanks for that laugh. Thanks for the really big one at the back. <laughs> it was only a comment, but it's really funny. There's nothing clever about it really, but the cleverness is the fact that you're relaxed enough to say that. I think quickness people find funnier than craft sometimes. Yeah, quite. Um, I remember like it was over COVID or something. I was doing like a Zoom record for like a BBC radio show. Mm-hmm. And um, it was going, oh, look, I'm, what I'm about to say is going to make it sound like it wasn't going decent. It was going decent. Yeah. I wasn't messing it up. I was doing okay. But then someone accidentally unmuted themselves on Zoom and said to their partner, oh, do we have to watch this? <laughs> and, then, and then obviously that became the whole set. Like the yeah. rest of the time was just me being like, you're not sat in a thick, you're on Zoom, like just turn it off. Are you thick? Like, Go away. Yeah, if you don't want to watch it, you act like, what is this self-flagellation that you're sat there? <laughs> but, and and, and that, that clip sort of, you know, then did the rounds because even in moments where someone's saying something really insulting, you can't, you can't react with insecurity. You just got to be like, well, do you know what? That's, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it's lovely. I really like it. It's a great skill. Even the people right at the top have that skill. They've, they've not lost it. The fact that Michael McIntyre can play a huge stadium in front of thousands and thousands of people, but he still has that ability that when he's talking to one person, he is absolutely talking to that one person. I'm going to get a bit, um, you know, back in my day about this. <laughs> but um, I genuinely hope we don't lose that because, and I don't think we will. I don't think we will because I think there's enough people that really love and are passionate about the live art of comedy. Mm. But I just, I worry that sometimes people who are on TikTok or on Instagram or something like that, and then they they start doing live work without having done the rounds. Mm -hmm. I worry for them because, because it's you, you can do that in front of a home crowd. But if you go to, you know, a crowd in, you know, rural Hull or something, yeah. and they're a bit hostile and, and, a, and a bloke shouts something horrible at you, you've got to be kind of ready for it. So... But maybe, again, that's kind of old school of me. Maybe we are just seeing like a different generation of comics that can just perform to their niche. And maybe that's completely fine. Maybe I'm mm -hmm. being a bit like, you know, comedy purist, comedy elitist. But I would much rather have that in my arsenal so that when I eventually get to perform to exclusively home crowds, if something does go a little bit off, I know how to deal with it because I've practiced that for years and years and years. It's anybody who performs on a stage develops that by the experience of doing it, the stagecraft. Sure. Really, the ability to not be thrown by things not going as you thought they were going to go. So even in a play, which is very, in a way, strict, and you do, you sort of are doing exactly the same thing most nights, 
when something goes wrong, if someone hasn't got that stagecraft, so quite often if they're inexperienced on stage, you see the panic in their eyes. Sure. But the older actors or the actors who've been around a bit or done lots of work will just go, no, this is the fun bit. Yeah, and and I hope it, yeah, again, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm coming from a comedy elitist space. It's more like a space of worry of watch, mm-hmm. watching these sort of up and coming comics that like go into performance spaces and are overawed by it. I'm just like, oh, I, it's such a shame that you have to do all of your learning. So in, in the public eye, whereas mm. I got to, you know, go around to do, you know, 20 minutes all around the country and no one will remember who I was, even if, even if I ate shit for 20 minutes, which, you know, <laughs> oftentimes I did, but that's the character building bit. That's the bit yeah. you've got to go through. Yeah. You yeah. were just testing material. The, just, the worst thing has to for you to get good at comedy you have to stop being scared of the worst thing happening and mm-hmm. then as soon as you stop being scared of the worst thing happening the worst thing stops happening yes and the best things happen as a result of it don't they Absolutely. having that nerve it is all about nerve i think i think mm. all performing is really you allow the comedy to to occur you mm. give it the space and that is always whenever you say something that is supposed to be funny and you leave that gap that's the nerve you're taking. That's the risk you take because that could be silence. And then an experienced performer will go, that's all right. I don't mind. I don't mind that they didn't laugh. I can make something of that. An experienced performer will go, they didn't know they were meant to laugh then. I'm going to pretend that I didn't want them to. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, great. Well, uh, I hope you have a fantastic time touring around. You've got some lovely dates. So uh, this is going out. On my birthday, Chloe, the 12th of February. Thank you very much. Although it's not actually, we're recording it before, but let's pretend it is. It is my birthday. Hurrah. In that sort of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey kind of way, it is your birthday. It's (laughs) it's perpetually your birthday, you know? It is. And whenever anybody listens to this, you know, 2036 or something, and they go, let's listen to that old dead bloke. (laughs) (laughs) They go, oh, look, he thought he was going to live forever. He's talking about his birthday. (laughs) Bless him. You seem very young to me. Thank you. Youthful of spirit, I'll say. Yeah, that's the important thing. Well, let's find out then the things that you've chosen to put in your time capsule and see what that tells us about you. What's number one? I've gone a mix of highbrow, lowbrow, if that's mm-hmm. okay. It's very good, um, I think. Good. Okay, I'm pleased to hear because that. Because life is. All of life is, isn't it? That's sort mm. of what it boils down to. So my first pick is I'm a massive reader, and I think that's my greatest pleasure in life is is sitting and reading right um so i've chosen the novels of barbara kingsolver my first pick i'm a man with a house absolutely rammed with books because my wife is a massive reader Mm. and uh, i look at them and think that looks interesting (laughs) and then about as far as i go chloe (laughs) (laughs) you're an avid reader then because most people don't get that far (laughs) at least i'm aware of books yeah so tell me about these books then so Barbara Kingsolver, she's, oh man, she's insane. So I've only read two of them. And this is why, like, I think it's a good pick because they're still like a, oh, well, I'm kind of thinking of this in a desert island, this kind of way, but I'm not, mm. but it's not that, is it? But basically, I guess what I'm putting in the time capsule is my reverence and complete joy in the two that I've already read and the excitement for the ones that I am yet to read. Oh, that's good. Her latest book is called Demon Copperhead, which is, sort of loosely based on David Copperfield. And it's set in this sort of rural area in America. And it's about this young guy called Demon who um, is kind of that coming of age narrative like David Copperfield is where Mm. we see him when he's a little boy and he goes through the ringer and gets really mistreated. And then he, as he grows up to sort of into maturity and, um, What's really cool about it is that his voice develops through the whole novel. So he sort of starts having like a childish perception and Mm. then he grows this teenage perception, this adult perception, and then he sort of reflects on the things that happened to him as a child and as a teenager. And it's just incredibly powerfully written, incredibly moving, set set at the backdrop of the opioid crisis. It's really compassionate to the people, you know, the rednecks essentially, and the people who have just been absolutely pummeled by society but it's just like it's like reading a friend she's Mm. so incredible at presenting these characters that feel totally real and not like caricatures and it just absolutely blew me away fantastic it's strange isn't it to 
find something so compelling from an area of America and a time in America that you don't really know? I mean, you were born in, well, sitting born, is that right? That is right. Great research. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think, but, but that's the beauty of like really incredible novelists is that they can draw you into a world regardless of, of background and you just feel like you get this privileged look at this, you know, area of society that you never considered or had any experience of before. Mm, absolutely. They can talk about food that they love that you have no knowledge of. And yet, to you immediately, it's sausage and mash. And it's, it's, <laughs> the, it's the thing that you know. Yeah. Uh, that, it's a great skill, isn't it? That, that thing of not alienating you by placing someone in a very specific place. Mm. And then, and then I, I went back and read David Copperfield over Christmas. Right. Um, just to sort of the research. And what I think she does incredibly is like, she doesn't get bogged down in her source material, but she's mm. also, I then read another of her books called The Poisonwood Bible, which is basically about four young women who go to, go with their parents as missionaries to the Congo. And she she lived in the Congo when she was young, so she obviously had like lots of personal experience of it, but she was also clearly done a lot of research. Mm. And I think the thing that Demon Copperhead and, and uh, The Poisonwood Bible have in common is that she she deals with her source material, whether it be history or whether it be David Copperfield, with such like a deafness of touch where it kind of informs what she's writing, but it never feels like she's just like reciting <laughs> yeah. a research. Yeah, no, they're terrible, those books, aren't they, where they say he leant over and, of course, in this time, it was unable to flush the toilet. And you go, I, I know that. <laughs> I could just Wikipedia that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what he just done. He just Wikipedia'd. That's it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, it, she's, she's top. And, um, yeah, I don't know, I just feel like, Maybe I'm sort of getting sentimental now that I've turned 30. But when I get to read books like that, it just makes me so glad to be alive because mm -hmm. I'm just like, this is so cool that I get to just be here, get, like gaining this much pleasure from something. How cool is that? Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, I must, I must buy some books of hers and uh, obviously then look at the covers. And give them the, to your wife. <laughs> I mean, give them to my wife and say, read that and tell me what it's about. Do you know what I'll say as well? I would say they're long boys. Like if you're if you're looking to get into reading, don't start with them. Right. I think Demon Copperhead about eight hundred pages, Poisonwood Bible about nine hundred pages. They're hardcore. So get mm. your wife to read them and just give you a nice summary. Yeah. Okay. What does she like? Well, she likes modern literature, but you know, right. proper novels, really. Yeah. I say, what's it about? She said, not really anything. <laughs> well, why are you reading it then? Who wins in the end? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Chloe, right, let's put that in. I'm going to put the entire works in there so that, you know, if you ever open it up again, you'll go, ah, didn't read that one. And that'll be you for weeks, I should imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lovely. Okay, so what's number two? Okay, I hope you're having fun. Do stay with us as we take a short break in the hope that some adverts will be played. Back soon. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. 
Welcome back to My Time Capsule and our guest, Chloe Petz, who's ready to reveal the rest of her time capsule choices. Well, the next one, am I allowed all of football? You are allowed all of football, yes. <laughs> all of it. The entire history, every game that's ever been played, all the great players, yeah. How do you think we contain it in the in the time capsule? Um, these things are so TARDIS-like. Depends how big a hole you want to dig. But do you think it should be <laughs> <laughs> should be every every game that's ever been played? I mean, because there are lots of games that you watch. So my grandson goes to see Lewis play and loves it. And they're a non-league team. Those sort of games are as exciting as European Cup finals, aren't they? Yes, they are. So how about we contain every single football match that's meant something to someone? Yeah, very good. That'd be every single one, right? Yeah, it would be. It would be. Because you can see the passion when you just go to see kids play. You see, one of the reasons that parents would be very wise to stay away from watching their kids play football <laughs> is because you get drawn in more to that than you would do if you were watching a premiership decider. I think we should be specific, though. I think we should say it should be adults of all genders on 11 aside. Anything that's got an official referee, I'm going to put in there. How's yeah. that? Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. All right, that, yeah. good. Okay, right. So, um, which ones out of that enormous cornucopia of brilliant games would you like to see again? I would really love to see um, the Liverpool AC Milan 2005 Champions League final. Oh, yeah. I think that I, I credit that with solidifying and continuing my love of football. I, I already had like a real love of football, but I think. My obsession with it was solidified in that game where I remember getting sent to bed when Liverpool went 3-0 down. And then mm. I got I got called back down <laughs> because my parents saw what was happening. And oh, they said, brilliant. Chloe's got Chloe's gotta watch this. You've got to see this. Yeah. Maybe it was more for them. I would have had like a 10-hour a tantrum if I'd woken up the next morning and seen the score <laughs> and known that they hadn't woken me. Um, yeah. yeah, it was just. I mean, I'm not even a Liverpool fan and I'm getting choked up about it. Mm -hmm. it's, it was just everything you wanted football to be. It was complete underdogs doing what underdogs do, which is going 3-0 down. And then, you know, hearing that impassioned rendition of you'll never walk alone and then them just coming out and doing what they did. And and it's 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 almost those days where you think there's destiny. You know, there's destiny mm. to it. Like the, the Palace-Brighton uh, playoff semi-finals, the last time we got into the Premier League, mm -hmm. had exactly the same moment that the Liverpool game did, which was Jersey Dudek made a save that you just couldn't believe that he could make in the, <laughs> in the, in the sort of final minutes. Julian Speroni did it in Brighton. I think it was Glenn Murray took this shot and you're just like, how has he kept that out? And it's that moment where as a fan you go, today is our day. Today it's destiny that we win. Mm. And you have that very rarely as a football fan. And when you do, it's ah, it, it's electric. It is lovely, though, isn't it, that you can watch other teams, teams you don't support, and get as excited for their fans because you know how you'd feel about your own team doing that. You know, I, I remember watching that Liverpool game and being in tears at the end because it was so moving. It was so yeah. beautiful. And also, really, that such a great player, Gerard, should should have that sort of influence on a game because he'd never really, I don't think, fulfilled his promise in that Liverpool team until that moment. Yeah, he's he's the, the greatest player to have never won a Premier League, I think, mm. um, which is, is such a shame that he was so loyal. Well, obviously, he was so loyal to a club that, that couldn't couldn't really deliver for him. No. But yeah, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. And then Chelsea, a couple of seasons later, did you know something against all odds... Against Bayern Munich, wasn't it? Against Bayern Munich. And, yeah, and I remember where that. They that absolutely was... should have been 5 0 down and it just wouldn't yeah. go in. Yeah, and you just go, ah, oh, it's Chelsea's day today. And, you know, for <laughs> me, there's the 1999 final where, of course. you know, I mean, again, Bayern Munich should have been home and away. They should have yeah. been clear. Mm -hmm. No trouble. And they absolutely outplayed Man United the whole game. And then for this mad five minutes at the end. Where did you watch it and 
How, how I did at my neighbour's house, uh, and he was German, and he'd invited all his friends, and they were all Bayern Munich fans. So I sat in the middle of a great crowd of Bayern Munich people who, uh, who very kindly kept patting me on the shoulder and saying, oh, it is such a shame because Manchester United have been so good in the competition so far, and uh, now they are not playing well, Mike. Michael, tell me this. Were you gracious about it, or were you doing wanker signs in those Germans' faces? <laughs> You know the truth, don't you? <laughs> I would have been absolutely given it. I would have I would have been absolutely insufferable. Yeah. I ran up and down the street. <laughs> oh Lord, not my greatest moment, but um, No, but it, it sounds actually, to me like your greatest moment. Yeah, yeah, it was. This is the thing, like, if Palace or England men's ever won something, <laughs> it I don't know if it would be worth worthwhile because I think I would probably party so hard that I'd die. <laughs> and, and it would have all been for nothing. I, I think if England, Suicide by football. Suicide by football, but accidental suicide by football. Because <laughs> if we win the Euros, I, I'm, you're going to find me in a bush about four days later. Mm-hmm. You'll be like, is that? Is that Chloe Petz from? <laughs> Can't be, can it? Yeah, I think she's. <laughs> she had she had a couple of gigs the last few nights. But, yeah. uh, Miss those. Miss them. We'll win something in my lifetime. I mean, when the Lionesses won, oh my god, I've watched that again because I, I was yeah. there. It was it was one of the best days ever. This wow. is um um Michael, it was brilliant. So I was doing something for Sky Sports in the morning, and I didn't have a ticket, so I went to Wembley at like seven a.m. to go and do some broadcasting. And as soon as I got there, one of the presenters went, do you have a ticket? And I was like, <laughs> no, I don't have, don't have a ticket. And he went, I've got you a ticket. So I, I haven't brought any of my stuff because I thought, oh, I just got, I'm just going back to East London. I'll watch it in the pub with my mates. You know, mm. great. So I was there on my own without a phone charger, without a book from <laughs> 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. kickoff. <laughs> so, Michael, you're a football fan. You've yeah. got 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. to kill. Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Drinking. There you go. <laughs> I was absolutely slaughtered. And I've I've been having a bit of a thing about wanting the women's game to, to be a little bit more toxic so that the celebrations were a bit more impassioned. And as soon as I walk into the stadium, I'd found Maisie Adam by this point. I walk into the stadium. I get somewhat a stranger has airdropped me something and I open it and it was a picture of a German child crying from a previous game. <laughs> and I thought, this is going to be brilliant. <laughs> but I go in and I'm sat next to like an Irish guy who works for the FA and he's clearly there because he needs to be there to show his face for, for mm. work. But he could not have wanted us to lose more. Like, <laughs> I just sort of wanted the downfall of his, you know, historical oppressors. And I was like, fair play to you, mate. I wouldn't want us to win either if I was you. But mm. you're going to have to absolutely cheer with me when I jump all over you because I'm here on my own and you're my best mate for today and there's just all these pictures like because I was sat right behind the goal I was getting constant texts from all my mates going is this you is this you is this you because everyone could just see me (laughs) yeah and these photos are brilliant because I'm just like going through every single football face you could possibly yes oh (laughs) yeah come on and it's like a you know a slideshow of of all of my emotions and no one that I've ever loved has won something. So when we won it and I've been drinking since 9am, I didn't know what to do because I was used to feeling grossly unhappy at that point and I'd almost become used to that. Mm. And I didn't know how to handle the joy, so I just sobbed for about 20 minutes <laughs> whilst the Irish guy held me. <laughs> and then um, found Maisie Adam, got back on the beers and had a big night. It was fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, well, see, you've, you've got to have the whole of football in the time capsule yeah. then. I mean, that yeah. sort of passion. And you're right, I do love the slightly aggressive, slightly nasty side that football can have, which is very funny. Oh, it's so, it's so funny. It's mm. so funny, like, being so mean in such an uncalled for way. <laughs> I just think it's really funny. I love, like, uh, when someone of in the opposed, like, the away end or something does something a bit weird, you're like, oh, it's the wagger in the black. Oh, it's the wagger. I love it. It's great. Yeah, quite. Okay, so we've got football in there. That's two things we put in. So we've gone highbrow, lowbrow. Where are we going now? We're going highbrow again. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going back arty. 
this was a difficult one. I'm again, I'm big into watching films, so this was difficult to narrow down. But mm. I think ultimately, I've gone for all of the films of Celine Siama, who is uh, an incredible French writer and director. And I think uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. I found it like profoundly beautiful and moving and hot and just like this cool. It was basically just like, you know, what would it look like if women like self-governed essentially (laughs) um, for a bit? And it was just like very beautiful and affirming and non-judgmental. Lovely. I'm ashamed to say I've never watched it. But then again, I use films as an escape. I use films in a way to sort of shut off. Do you know what I mean? If I'm worried about something, I just sit and watch some really crappy film with lots of people charging around all over the place and firing guns. You don't just look at the cover of the Blu-ray. No, I'm very, I'm right in there, <laughs> deep diving into these things. Well, I wish then that I'd gone more that way because I love that too. I love big, crashy, bashy hmm. action films. I love like John Wick and The Equaliser. Yeah, and I can watch that? The Equaliser almost every night. It's terrible. It's so good, isn't it? It's have you so seen John good, Wick? But I have, yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. Have you seen, <laughs> have you seen Nobody? No. Right, Michael. Tonight. You watch that tonight. And For you my tell birthday. Me for your birthday, for your birthday treat, we're gonna we'll take you bowling. We'll get you a McDonald's, and then we're gonna come home and we're gonna watch Nobody. Okay, <laughs> it's so good. It's from the producers of John Wick, and it's that guy from Breaking Bad, Bob Odenkirk. All oh, right, yeah. And it's like it's it's kind of like John Wick, but but you know he's trying to get back his daughter's bracelet or something, and he's like he's this old washed up guy. His life's really shit and formulaic now. And there's a break into his home and he doesn't harm the guys. He doesn't harm the guys that break into his home because he has like a conscience. And all of the blokes in the local area come around and go, oh, you didn't you didn't protect your family and your home. Like, oh, that's a bit you know, of a pussy move kind of thing. And then he he goes on this <laughs> revenge mission. And there's a, there's a scene on a bus, which if you like that kind of thing, you're going to love. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. <laughs> I do like that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I can see your eyes have just lit yeah, up. Yeah, <laughs> I've gone right. That's it. That's me looking at that. Uh, that's me on my birthday. He's um he started off as a writer on Saturday Night Live. Did you know that? Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Do you know what? I think comic writers are the best dramatic writers as well. Like I think it's so transferable as a skill mm. because you have to in comedy, I think you have to really learn rules which you can then break in drama and also like having to tell a story and make it funny is so much harder than just having to tell a story <laughs> yeah so then as soon as you just go back to having to tell a story you're like sorry i don't even have to put jokes in this that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> but you're right about that thing because i think the building of tension in a situation sure. is the same tension you'd build before you do a joke Absolutely. but in this situation you build the tension and then something terrible happens it's this, this sort of horror comedy pairing, isn't it? That is mm. tension, tension, release. Just yeah, in absolutely. Different, different ways. It's why people yeah. laugh when something frightening happens because it's so close. I think. Yeah, yeah. Or or scream when I do something funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard that was when you came on stage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a bit like Elvis. <laughs> yeah, loads of bras being thrown up my head. Going, Guys, stop it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, I don't know her films at all. Are most of them in French originally? Yes, mm. they are. So uh, Petite Maman is also, oh, it's so stunning. Uh, Have you seen, you haven't seen that one? No, I mean, no, I'm completely ignorant of this subject. It's like a kid, she basically like meets the childhood version of her mother in the woods. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, I've got tingles just even saying that. Like, I think it's a really beautiful exploration of um, daughters' relationships to their mothers. Like, I think there's a lot of guilt that exists between daughters and their mothers because by, you know, the the sheer process of time, Mm. things just get better for people that have previously been oppressed generation to generation. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Mm. But, But I think that's kind of how the way history tends, right? Yeah. But maybe that's sort of a very Western-centric kind of view. Mm. But I think, yeah, but but to go back to, there's a guilt that you get to flourish in a way because, because of all the sacrifices that your mother made for you, right? Yeah. And I think this is like a really special exploration of being able to have that conversation 
or have a conversation, be in dialogue mm. with your mother in a way that it feels like wish fulfillment. You know, we'd, we'd all like to meet our mothers when they were children and see what yeah. they like. I mean, I think it's a shame that a lot of mothers get to the point where they feel, well, I can't reveal that side to my child because sure. they'll see it as encouragement of their behaviour. If I say, I did that, I was like that when I was, you know, <laughs> yeah, I kept bunking off school and all those. My wife did all of those things. She told our children all the terrible things she did as a child. So they absolutely grew up with her being like their mate. But actually, because she was then able to say, although look at me now, and I, I wouldn't make that decision if I were you. And they listened to her, which is amazing. My mum has a great story. My mum and godmother tell me this one all the time. Now they'll tell me now that I'm an adult and they, they're pretty sure I've made most of my mistakes. <laughs> so both of them live in Sittingbourne and always have done. And mm. my godmother and my mum have been best friends since school. And apparently they used to work in London when they were like 18. And they'd come home and they'd come on the last train after getting really pissed in the pub. And at the time it would be like uh, trains where you could open the window down. Yeah. Or like open the door. Mm. So my godmother went to my mum and was like, "Oh, you never guess what I saw on the, the the morning commute when I when I got to when I got to Sittingbourne Station at six a.m. Someone had thrown up all over the station floor, and my <laughs> mum was like." Yeah, that was me last night. Yeah. <laughs> I got down on the last train, you got on the first train and you've just stepped over my puke to get there. So yeah, I, I, you know, it's it's nice when your parents get humanised to you. Yeah, it's a good thing. I think it's important to admit that you've made mistakes in your life. I mean, my wife was a wild child, absolute wild. I mean, I it, it shocked me when she started telling me, I went, you did what? What? <laughs> Well, um, I look forward to seeing these films then. Yeah. The final one that I'll give a shout out to is, um, she. I don't believe she directed it, but she might have written it. I, she's in some way involved in it. <clears throat> and it's this beautiful animated film called My Life as a Courgette. And it's basically just like about this little boy that lives in an orphanage. And it's incredibly moving and beautiful. And it's like really short but really powerful. So mm. I think the American re release was like My Life as a Zucchini. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's great. Okay, right. Yeah. That's three things we put in there. So we've got uh, one good thing and one bad thing. One good thing you want to keep and one you'd like to get rid of. I like to do the good thing mm -hmm. um, because I loved, I'd like to end the, the show on a sour note. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the good thing is one of my favourite things of all time, karaoke. Uh -huh. I love it. I love it so much. Again, I, I just have tried to choose stuff that make me makes me happy to be alive. Mm. And there's nothing that makes me more happy than being at karaoke with my friends. And I think I'm again not to blow smoke up my own ass, but I think karaoke is something that I'm very talented at, both as a watcher and a performer. <laughs> because I think as a performer, what you've got to do is you've got to choose the right song and then you've got to be good enough that people are impressed by you when they're drunk, mm. but bad enough that it doesn't look like you're showing off. Yeah. So I think I've got that. And then because I love karaoke so much, I'm always stood at the front supporting that person going, yeah, this is amazing. Because <laughs> it's it's very quick for people to get bored of karaoke songs. Like, oh, you know, we'll support this person for about a minute, but I'm there with them through the whole song. Very good. Do you like karaoke? I love karaoke. Yes, I know. love that. I have the problem that I am, and I'm, I am going to blow smoke up my own ass. is that I am a, <laughs> I am a very good singer. Uh, oh, and, great. You know, so it's, it is difficult to not look like you're showing off. So you, for me, I have to choose a song. Generally, if I'm doing karaoke, I'll choose a song that people wouldn't expect you to sing. I think what you've got to lean into if you are a really good singer is you, you've just got to then be impressive. Like you've just got to go, do you know, F this. I'm going to sing like a really difficult song. Right, and everyone's yeah. going to stop what they're doing. They're going to turn and look, who's this guy? Could we go to karaoke together? Yeah, I'd love to. On your birthday, karaoke, and then we'll watch Nobody together. <laughs> the moment I tell you my trick, my trick for, for looking impressive is that I always choose a woman's song. People don't expect you to do So, uh, for example, I Will Always Love You. <gasps> oh, my God. I can sing that. It's not that high, really, for a man. It just looks really high. Yeah. For the listener, but, for the listener, yeah. my, my jaw has dropped. <laughs> this I, I genuinely I genuinely want to go to karaoke with you I, I'm always buzzed to find a new karaoke partner um, <laughs> but what I go for is like 
Tina Turner, actually. Because uh-huh. obviously she sings her songs brilliantly, but like if you sing something like The Best, you basically, you get the verse for yourself and then the chorus is your is the little treat for the audience because yeah. they don't know the words of the verse, so you get to sing it, <laughs> and then you get they get to sing the chorus with you. But what's good about that is she, she obviously sings it brilliantly, and I would never claim to be sort of like one fingernail of her talent. No, but the best it does just start. It's all just one note for quite a long time. Yeah, So it's quite easy. Repeat. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it leads to that moment when everybody will join in with you. That's, of course, why Sweet Caroline works so well. And that's an easy one to do if I'm going to sing a male song. Of course, I have had the great advantage. I was in five series of Benidorm, and we filmed it in Benidorm and went to karaoke most nights. No, mm. you can't tell me stuff like that. So sorry. That's incredible. What's more incredible is that earlier on you said that I looked youthful. How can you go with that? I'm only 35. Look, what I'm going to say is I'm going to say you don't look youthful, but you just feel youthful. That's okay. what, that was what right. I said. I can't believe that. Because yeah. ben, Benidorm's one of those shows where you're like, I hope they was having as much fun oh. offset as it looks like they were having on, on it. More. Oh, man. Crazy. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's very I'm lucky, lucky man. So, yes, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think karaoke is a fantastic thing because you don't have to be a great singer to have an effect. Some people will stand up and you would expect absolutely nothing from them. And the fact that they give you something is really exciting. And I think that that sort of evening out of things is a fantastic thing. Um, I went to karaoke after Palace once with my mate Eddie. We just went into a bar and it was so funny because, like, you know, it was – it was it was like proper local pub vibes. Everyone was very strange. And every time we went to the bar, people would be like, has Della sung yet? And we were like, no, we don't know. Who's Della? And every time we went, oh, you've got to wait till you hear Della. Oh, my God. Just whisperings of Della. And like, Who's this Della? Della's going to absolutely smash it. Della came on. It's one of the worst karaoke renditions I've ever heard in my fucking life. <laughs> she just squawked her way through it. But yeah. I think everyone was so drunk, like they just sort of corrected the notes in their mind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love it. It's, it's perfect. Fantastic. Oh, I've got so many stories I could tell you. I'll show you a video. I've got such a funny video from Benidorm. I've got extraordinary Oh, videos. please do. We need to exchange WhatsApps. There's Absolutely. lots of stuff I want to I'll send you some talk things. About. <laughs> Thank love you. It. Okay, so let's put the thing in that you want to get rid of. I've struggled with this a bit mm. and, and I feel like I've like picked something from like 2010, but the <laughs> thing that just popped into my head was Top Gear. <laughs> I don't know why. Just every time Top Gear comes on, I go, for fuck's sake, and I feel sick. <laughs> and it's not it's not even because I object to it on like, you know, if, if some middle-aged blokes want to chat about cars, then there's space for that for sure. It just mm. bores me to death. I'm like, Jesus, we're still talking about Porsches, are we? <laughs> oh, we don't know who the Stig is. That's interesting. I know. I think that, first of all, you should go out on a, a sort of cerebral night with my wife because I think you'd get on fantastically well in that area. And then right. we should go on a football karaoke night with me. Because I will watch Top Gear, but I, I think it's a very strange thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And particularly as they got older and older and older, you go, what's going on? <laughs> My wife did meet Richard Hammond, though, and she's always hated Top Gear and had lunch with him and said he was the most charming, most delightful man. I'm sure. I'm, I'm absolutely sure. Maybe not Jeremy Clarkson, but I'm sure the other two are absolutely lovely. Mm-hmm. But I just, oh no. Every time it comes <laughs> on, my heart sinks. Do you have shows like that where if it comes on the telly, you go, oh God. Yeah, I do. There are certain ones that really I shouldn't have like that. I mean, for example, Waking the Dead. I always think, oh, for goodness sake, what are these? Why don't they just stay in the lab? What are they doing at all these places? Why are they investigating it? They're not the police. It drives me mad that they've got this concept that they've squeezed it all into. And I just, I can't watch it because I think this wouldn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> That's very fun. That wouldn't happen. That wouldn't um, happen. Whereas all of the stuff that happens in the equaliser, that would happen. That would happen. Yeah. That would there happen. are special yeah. people like that out there. And we know yeah. that to be true, Chloe. So, yeah. yes, I'm going to put Top Gear into the time capsule and bury it. Thank you. Well, that all sounds a bit too like the truth, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's been really fabulous talking to you. It's been great to meet you. And I look forward yeah, to had... I will swap 
WhatsApp things. I'll send you some videos. I've got a fantastic Please video. Please do. Yeah. I would love that. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. I genuinely, if you want to go to karaoke, I think that it would, we'd be a very surprising duo, <laughs> but a very, a very compatible oh, we one. We would. What's that 30 year old lesbian doing with that old geezer? <laughs> <laughs> My true colours are coming out. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I've loved it. Good. Yeah. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Chloe Petz. Do subscribe to this podcast. We'd be most grateful. We release two episodes a week, which is quite a lot of work, so we really appreciate your support. Do tell your friends and maybe inform a stranger that you've enjoyed the podcast by rating, reviewing, or leaving a comment on the podcast provider you prefer. Thank you. Do download the theme tune from Spotify. It's more complicated than you'd imagine, which becomes all the more clear when I'm not blathering away on top of it. It was written and performed by Pass the Peas Music. Don't forget you can get this pod without ads by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details in the description of this episode. You probably won't forget it, as we do tell you quite often. And that's because we'd like you to join the exclusive club that gets our bonus podcast every week. And of course, also get a chance to join our monthly £10,000 draw. Now, one of those things isn't real. I'll let you work out which it is. Well done. My Time Capsule and I are on social media, so do join us if you fancy a chat. This cast-off production was made for Acast to distribute and was produced by John Fenton Stevens. Right, time for some exercise. My fitness regime to try and drop a few pounds. Not great results so far. I bought one of those charts that tells you what weight you should be according to your height. And actually, it turns out that I'm not overweight. I'm just two feet too small. Anyway, I've combined the fitness regime with a diet. I only eat things with the word special in the name, like uh, Special K, obviously, Special Fried Rice, that's good, and of course, M&S Double Chocolate Fudge Cake. Special offer. Bye. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you.